Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Jesus does not tell people what they want to hear. He tells them the truth. And he tells them basically, if you want to follow me, it's going to be costly. Costly? Oh, yeah. Uh, No easy believism here. No easy Christianity here. No greasy grace. You know, people like greasy grace. Well, you know, I can believe in Jesus, and that's all I have to do. No. Listen. As we are out sharing the gospel, saints, and as you're telling people about Jesus, be sure to tell them that it is not enough to simply believe in Jesus. You know, we say that all the time. Well, all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, that's just a fraction of truth to tell you. That's the beginning. The truth is that's the beginning. To believe in Jesus, that is the beginning. But it cannot stop there. You cannot be saved just because you believe in Jesus. Because the Bible is very clear that even the demons believe and they tremble. Not only that, but you have to be an idiot not to know that Jesus was a a real world figure. A real person who really died. It's historically recorded outside of the Bible. We call it extra biblical evidence. You don't even have to believe the Bible to believe in Jesus. Because historically, the person of Christ is a fact, unarguable. So to believe in Jesus and to be saved, you cannot just believe in Jesus. You must believe in Jesus by resting and trusting in him. And then you have to do what he says to do. He says, if you love me, then keep my commandments and you've got to follow him. This is true salvation and true biblical discipleship is to follow him. Now, therein lies the proof that you really do believe in Jesus. Saints, if you know what I'm talking about, say amen. Amen. This is what true biblical faith is all about. It's not just to believe in Jesus. And this is why the churches receive the black eye and, and people think, oh, Christians are all hypocrites. They all say one thing and do something else. They all believe in Jesus. Well, I believe in Jesus too. Well, this is why, because we say we believe in Jesus, and yes, I guess you, it's great that you believe, but people aren't following him. People are not becoming disciples of him. We just come down the aisle and, and come get saved, and you come down and, Lord, I love you. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you. Hand me a tissue. Lord, I love you, Jesus. Oh, yes, I do. Here's a Bible. Four spiritual laws. Calvary Chapel business card. Make sure you come back. And then bye. Ah, man, we are missing it. We are missing it. 
And this is what Jesus says. You want to follow me? No greasy grace. You want to follow me? No easy believism. No, you can't just believe. It's going to be costly. It's going to cost you something. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said this. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You see, this scribe who saw the multitudes and the miracles that Jesus did was impressed with the success, but he never seeks to surrender his life. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. You want to follow me? It's going to cost you. Apparently, this man was into riches and materialism. And Jesus said, it's going to cost you. You want to follow me? It's costly. I don't have a place to live. I don't have anything. I don't have a place to call my own. And if you're going to follow me, you're not going to have anything. You're not going to have a place to live. And you're not going to call your own, have a place to call your own. Is Jesus saying we all need to go and sell our houses and stuff? No. He's saying we need to seek to surrender everything to him. Amen, saints? Just, Lord, here it is. If we're going to be true disciples is what we're talking about. Jesus didn't have anything. I heard a guy the other day, and, and he, was, he said, he said, Jesus was rich. He said, Jesus had a huge house. Of course, you know, that whole prosperity doctrine that people are teaching. And uh, that's a whole other sermon. We'll talk about that later. But Jesus was rich. He had a huge house. He had a designer robe, he said. Jesus wore a designer robe. I'm like, okay. And where'd you get that from? And, you know, Jesus had designer robe and he went into it because it was made of one seam. And in those days, something being made of one seam and it was designer and all this stuff. I'm like, one seam, that's because they didn't have that much thread. And you got to make it work. You know what I mean? I mean, you can't be getting all custom. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Hugo Boss robe. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. And I'm like, ay, 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 what are you saying? I mean, wait a minute now. Read your Bible. Because in the Bible, look, when Jesus came in the world, he didn't even have a nice, sterile, clean hospital to be born in. He was born in a stable. And he was placed, he didn't even have a place to have, have like a little baby warmer. He didn't have a baby warmer. He had a manger that wasn't even his. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, guess what? He had to borrow it because he didn't have one. When Jesus was in the upper room celebrating the Seder feast and the Passover with his disciples, guess what? He had to borrow the room because he didn't have one. Jesus was most certainly not rich. <laughs> he had to borrow the grave that he was buried in on Joseph's new tomb. Now, of course, he only needed it for three days. So, I mean, <laughs> just, just kind of give it back to him. And they say, oh, because, you know, we know Jesus was rich and had a big house because when, you know, they said, Jesus said, come see where I live. They said, Lord, where you're staying and where you live. And Jesus said, come and see. And so they say, because Jesus said, come and see where I'm living and staying. He must have had a big house. I'm like, <laughs> stupid. Jesus was not rich. The Bible says in heaven, he was 
rich and when he came to the earth he became he who was rich became poor that we might become rich but Jesus was not rich he never wrote a book and yet all the libraries of the world can't hold all the books about him he never wrote a song and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the writers put together he never founded a college and yet all the schools together has not had as many students as he has he never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more people than doctors have healed broken bones. You see, that's Jesus we're talking about. This is not the one who was rich. This is the one who said to the scribe, if you want to follow me, he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the son of man, he hath nowhere to lay his head. Psalm 84. Write this down. Psalm 84 verses one through four. Interesting verse. It reads this. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Where? On the altar. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Salah. David wrote this when he was on the run. From Saul. And David says, How long, how I long to be in your courts to worship you, God. And here I'm here I am out in the desert, and I don't know where my next meal is gonna come from. And David goes on to say, even the sparrow, the bottom bird on the ontology list, can build a nest on your altar. Even the birds and the worthless sparrow has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself. But the most important thing David says in this text, he says, blessed are those who are in the house of the Lord or the courts of the Lord. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That term, the son of man, comes from Daniel. It's a messianic term reserved only for Jesus he says, even the son of man has no place to lay his head. And this scribe, he didn't follow Jesus because of riches. Because of riches. The reluctant disciple, he didn't follow Jesus because of relationship. Relationship? Yeah, look in your Bibles again. Notice in verse 21, this other disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own. You see, the reluctant disciple couldn't follow Jesus because of relationship. The scribe, because of riches. The disciple, relationship. is a parallel text. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62, you can look that up in your own time. But it's in Luke that Jesus walks up to a man and like this text and he says, follow me. Now, isn't that interesting? The, the, um, it's interesting to me that the hasty scribe, he says, Lord, I'll follow you. And the reluctant disciple, Jesus said, follow me. One says, I'll follow you. Jesus says, follow me, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And then Jesus said, basically, 
No. No. Now, people have read this text and thought, man, Jesus, that's, that's cold-blooded, man. I'm sorry, I thought you were the nice, sweet, kind Jesus, but you won't even let the man go to his dad's funeral. What's up with that? I mean, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go bury my dad, and, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, no. Well, a lot of people have accused Jesus of being insensitive and, and you know, not a nice person because he wouldn't let the man go bury his dad. Well, listen, don't get the impression as you read this that the man's father is dead at home, sitting in the living room waiting to be buried. You understand that, right? That's not the way it is. What this is, is a... Middle Eastern idiom, a Middle Eastern idiom, any Jewish person would completely understand what is being said here. It's almost hyperbole and exaggeration. See, to go bury my father was a gentler, kinder way of saying, Jesus, I would love to go with you, but I got to take care of my dad. And when my dad dies, then I'll come and follow you now. We don't know. It's very possible the man's dad could have been 35 years old and in good health. So he's going to die who knows when. So what's happening here is the man is saying to Jesus in a kinder, gentler way, Jesus, I've got places to go, people to see, things to do. I'm young. I got lots of family that I need to get them all taken care of. And when they all die off, then I'll come and follow you. That's what he's saying. Lord, in other words, I just I, I have a life here. And when I'm done with it, then I'll follow you. That's what he's saying. And this is not good. Jesus says, follow me. That's why he said no. What he was telling the man is basically this. You need to, the reluctant disciple, you need to make me a priority. If you're going to follow me, you need to follow me now. Not wait until you get old. How many people, I can't serve Jesus because I'm waiting. You know, I'm too young to serve the Lord. I'm too young to be a sold out Christian. I'm too young to love God and go to church and worship God and all that. You know, when I get old, I'll do all that stuff. But right now I'm young. You know, we think that. I remember when I was 15 years old, I used to think, if, when, man, I used to, and you probably can relate. When I, I used to think when I'm 15, I was 15, I think, man, when I'm 30, I'm going to be over the hill. You, you thought that? And, and then when I, when I got 30, I'm like, man, you know, when I'm 40, it's, it's over for me. I mean, and now I'm 40, oh, and, and, and I'm at the place now of, uh, you know, now I'm thinking, you know, when I'm 60, that's it. I'm just going to be really in bad shape. And, and, and when I get 60, I'm sure I'll be thinking when I'm 120, I will be um, coughing dust or something. I mean, I don't know. But, but you often think, you know, when I'm young, I have, you know, I, I have things to do when I'm young and I can't serve God when I'm young because, you know, I've got a life to live. Listen, you really, truth be told, you can't live your life when you're young or middle-aged or old without Jesus. You really can't. And, and I don't know how I did it. I got saved when I was 21, and I don't know how I did it. I mean, I look back, and my only regret is that I didn't get saved way earlier. Christians, I mean, don't you just regret it? You think, man, this life as a Christian is so awesome. I love it. I have the best time as a Christian. I love being a Christian. Well, Christians are boring. No, you're boring. 
I'm fun. You're boring. And not only that, but you wake up the next morning and you don't know where your wallet is. Because you've been partying hardy last night. I was partying hardy too. Because I like to party hardy, but see, I, now I just enjoy the Lord. I just party you for Jesus. Yeah. I love being a Christian. Love serving the Lord. And Jesus is saying to this man, make me a priority. Saints, make Jesus a priority. Jesus first. Jesus first. Jesus first. Jesus first in everything. Someone once said, here's an acronym for you, JOY. J-O-Y. Jesus first. Others second. Yourself last. That's the way you live your life. That's the way you live your life. Here's another acronym for you. I love acronyms. They help me remember. Faith. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I take him. And that's what Jesus said. If you're going to follow me, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross. You're going to follow me. You're going to make me a priority. Period. Number one. Before your wife. It's an interesting verse in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, this is some strong language, does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Man, that's strong. Is Jesus saying he wants you to hate your wife and hate your mom? No. The Bible's clear. We're to love and respect our parents and love and respect our wives. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying, though, is that you need to make me a priority over everything and everyone in life. I need to be number one, Jesus is saying. Before you. I need to be number one. I thank God. I've told them this three, three services now. I'll tell you two services now. I'll tell you guys. I thank the Lord. My wife loves Jesus more than she loves me. It is the only time I give her permission to love another man more than me. Because I have to kill you if I, you know, find out something, I have to kill you. But I, oh yes, sweetie, absolutely. Love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. She loves Jesus more than she loves me. And I love Jesus more than I love her. And we're both all right with that. Because we know that as we put Jesus first, he, that benefits us both. As she loves the Lord with her life and she loves him and worships him more than she does me, she's going to be more equipped and more ready to love on me. That sounds pretty selfish, doesn't it? <laughs> but see, as she loves the Lord, God gives her everything she needs to love me. You see, and after she's worshipped and loved the Lord, then she can come and love me with all her heart, mind, and soul. And get me the newspaper. Make my food. Get all my stuff. See, but she'll want to, and I'll want to love her because I love Jesus more than I love her. That's the point. Any man doesn't hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his family, his friends, his business partners. But you got to love him more. See, sometimes, you know, and you can't let anything get in the way of your love for the Lord. If you're in a relationship with someone and they're taking you away from Jesus, then you got to love Jesus more. If you're in business with someone and the business partner has some shady practices, you got to love Jesus more. 
You have a, a guy friend who's trying to take you down a path that you don't need to be in compromising your godly, holy relationship with the Lord. Let it go. And put God first. And then when you do that, watch, that person will get saved because they'll say, man, that person really loves the Lord and they really are serious about this Jesus thing. And then maybe they won't. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll think you're a Jesus freak and they'll go find somebody else. And that's good. They weren't for you anyway. Amen. No. I love God. Forsaking all others, I take him first. And that's what he's telling this disciple. Jesus wants us lock, stock, and barrel. Everything we are and everything we have. True discipleship. It's not easy. People tell you being a Christian is easy. I will tell you they're, they're lying to you. It is not easy. It really isn't. You got family, friends, foes all coming against you. The spiritual warfare. It is not easy being a Christian. But I will tell you, it's always worth it. And and I'll tell you what, what is it compared to the life to come? Even if you live 75, you know, the average man lives to 76 years old or 72 years old. The average woman lives to 76. So what? What if when you die and you stand before the Lord, it'll always be worth it when he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Won't it be worth it, saints? Won't it be worth it? Won't it be worth it to just simply obey God and do what he has asked you to do? This is true discipleship. It's not easy. It's not easy. But you got to make it your mission. You got to set it as a course in your life. That you're going to love God and serve God and do what God has called you to do. And never let anyone seek to stop you. Let me read something to you that I recently got from um, a brother, a fellow pastor. And, And he sent this to me and I thought, man, this is so true for every Christian. Our mission statement what it is we need to do and how we need to think as Christians. Listen at this. It reads this. Stick with your work. Do not flinch because the lion roars. Do not stop to stone the devil's dogs. Do not fool your time away chasing the devil's rabbits. Do your work. Let liars lie and let sectarians quarrel. Let critics malign and let enemies accuse. Let the devil do his worst, but see to it nothing hinders you from fulfilling with joy the work that God has given you to do. He has not commanded you to be admired or esteemed. He has never bidden you to defend your character. He has not set you at work to contradict falsehood about yourself, which Satan or God's servants may start to peddle, or to track down every rumor that threatens your reputation. If you do these things, you will do nothing else. You will be at work for yourself and not for the Lord. Keep at your work. Let your aim be as steady as a star. You may be assaulted, wronged, insulted, slandered, wounded and rejected, misunderstood or assigned impure motives. You may be abused by foes, forsaken by friends and despised and rejected of men. But see to it with steadfast determination and unfaltering zeal that you pursue the great purpose of your life and object of your being until at last you can say, I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. That's what you want to be able to say. Before Paul died, that's what he said. 
I fought the good fight. I finished the course. Therefore, is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, shall give to me, and not only to me, but to all those that love his appearing. I finished the course. Lord, I just want to finish the course. This is true discipleship. It's great to sit mano y mano over a cup of coffee and talk about the things of the Lord. But we must be careful that we are communicating a true message of what true biblical discipleship is. And that is discipling people to tell them to deny themselves, to take up their cross and to follow Jesus, to love him with all your heart, mind and soul, to to, to make him first no matter what over everyone and anything. And you keep telling people that this is true biblical discipleship. This is what Jesus said to the hasty scribe and to the reluctant disciple. Don't let the riches or the relationships get in the way of loving Jesus. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.